Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to FaithBridge. So excited that you're all here, uh, whether you're joining us uh, on FaithBridge live at home or whether you're here live in the room. It is just so great uh, to see all of you, to see your smiling faces. I assume you're smiling. I, I don't know if you're actually smiling, uh, but it's, it's great to see your eyes, your, your eyeballs. Those are good. Very excited. Uh, my name is Adam McIntyre, and I serve on the preaching team here at FaithBridge, and I'm very honored to be here with you all out for this last Sunday of Advent, which means there's only five days left until Christmas, five days left until we get to celebrate the incarnation, which is that mysterious, miraculous event in which God came to us. God came to us in diapers. God was born in the person of Jesus. God was born to a teenager, to a virgin teenager. It's a wild story. Uh, It's an absolutely wild story. And last week, Pastor Dan talked about why. Why did this happen? Why did Jesus come? And the answer is to seek and to save the lost. Humanity, we were entangled in sin, hopelessly entangled, and the consequences of sin are death. And so things were looking pretty bleak. They weren't looking great. And then in the person of Jesus, hope arrived. And now through Jesus, we have grace. We have saving grace. And so this week, what I want to do is I want to talk about, okay, what happens next? Like, what happens after we accept the saving grace of Jesus? Yes, we become Christians, but what does that mean? Right? Like, how does Jesus change us? us? And what does it look like to follow Jesus? That's what I want to talk about. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to 1 Peter 4. Uh, We're going to read verses 8 through 11. 1 Peter 4, verses 8 through 11. Uh, Peter's going to have some instructions for us here. And Peter, if you remember, he was a disciple of Jesus, and he uh, was also the disciple that Jesus chose to be the rock on which he would build his church. So I figure Peter, he's going to have some good insight for us. He's going to have some good wisdom. Uh, So let's look at 1 Peter 4, verses 8 through 11. Here we go. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have, you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. And if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. So that in all things... God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So that's, uh, I mean, that list of instructions, that's, I mean, almost sounds like he's just talking about Jesus, right? Like what he just described here just sounds like he just described Jesus. I mean, love each other deeply, so deeply that it covers sins. Offer hospitality, serve others, faithfully steward God's Grace, speak as if you're speaking for God. Serve with God's strength. I mean, he's talking about Jesus, right? Like, it seems like Peter is asking us to be Jesus. Hey, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Just be him. Be Jesus. And I honestly, I think that's exactly what Peter is telling us to do. I think that that's what it means to follow Jesus. Just as Jesus lived as the incarnation of God, we are called to live as incarnations of God. Jesus. We are called to embody the love and the mercy of Jesus in every action and in every word. So Jesus was God in sandals. 
Now, we are called to be Jesus in sneakers or dress shoes or flip-flops, whatever you like to wear, it doesn't matter. Uh, just not Crocs, all right? Only heathens wear Crocs, so hopefully no one in here is wearing Crocs right now. Um, but let me tell you why this is so important. There's a lot of people in this world who they will go their whole lives without ever hearing the words, I love you. Or uh, maybe they were abused by the people that supposedly loved them. Or maybe the only people that really did love them have since passed on. So when you go to them and you say to them, hey, did you know that God loves you? What do you think the odds are that they're gonna believe that that's true? Probably not great. I'd say slim to none. And the same thing is true when it comes to God's mercy. There's a lot of people in this world who they struggle with the, the weight of the guilt and the shame from, from their sins. And so it's really hard for them to believe that they are truly forgiven. It's hard for them to feel forgiven, right? And that's why it's so important for each of us to become the incarnations of God's love and mercy. I mean, Jesus in Luke 6, he said, be merciful as my father is merciful. Be God's mercy. Be God's mercy to others. And then later he said, uh, Jesus said, people will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Like, you should love each other in such a way that it makes other people go, ah, Jesus. That makes me think of Jesus, right? And that's because when we act lovingly towards someone, when we show someone mercy, we make God's love and mercy credible. We make it real. We make it something that they can actually experience and not just hear about. And I think that's what following Jesus is all about, loving others and showing mercy as if you were Jesus. So now the question is, how do we do that? Like how in the world do we become incarnations of Jesus? Like how are we supposed to embody the radical love and mercy of Jesus? I mean, he willingly allowed himself to be crucified, even though he was innocent, uh, all to, to, to conquer our sin and to conquer death because he loves us so much. And then, as he was being crucified, he begged his father to forgive the very people who were driving the nails into his hands and feet. How in the world are we supposed to embody that kind of mercy? I mean, asking us to be Jesus, that's a pretty tall order, right? Like, how in the world are we supposed to do that? Well, <laughs> baby steps, that's how. Baby steps. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's not going to happen all at once. And none of us will ever fully get there in our lifetime because of sin, but we still strive to be Jesus every single day. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to start small, and I want to talk about just uh, two practical steps that we can take today to become more like Jesus, to begin to become the incarnations of Jesus. And the first step has to do with embodying the mercy of Jesus. And really, it's, it's more of an exercise in self-reflection, uh, but it's this. When you encounter other people, I just want you to ask yourself, am I viewing them through the lens of judgment or the lens of mercy? It doesn't matter who it is. It could be anyone, your wife, your, your husband, your kids, your uh, friends. It could be a stranger in the grocery store. Just ask yourself, is my instinct to look at them with judgment or with mercy? I'll give you an example of what this looks like. It's kind of a silly example, but hopefully uh, it paints the picture. So... Uh, I have two kids. Uh, my wife and I have two kids. We have two kids together. It's not just me. My wife and I, we have two kids. So you could say we're getting pretty serious. And 
Um, they are uh, such good girls. Their names are Juliet and Scarlett. Juliet is three, Scarlett is one, and I'm so proud of them. I love them so much, and being locked in a house with them for the past nine months has just been a treat. It's been great. Um, so Juliet, our three-year-old, uh, she's at that stage where she has discovered the art of throwing a temper tantrum, which is fun. And so recently, I, a couple weeks ago, I was up at 6.15 in the morning for, for my morning routine, which I used to do alone. It used to be one of the best parts of my day. But Juliet has since adjusted her sleep schedule so that she is up at 6.15 with me, which is great. And so it's 6.15 in the morning, and Juliet is up with me, and I can just tell that she woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I mean, and listen, 95% of the time, Juliet is such a sweet and caring person. She really is. Like, I'm, I'm so proud of her. But then there's that other 5% where she's just in a mood, right? And this was one of those times, and I could tell because she starts off the morning with a list of demands. So she goes, Daddy, give me a banana. Okay, sweetheart, that's, that's not how we ask, but okay, look, here's your banana. Okay, no, not that one. I want the other one. They're, it's gonna taste exactly the same, all right? It doesn't, but okay, that's fine. Here's the other banana. Open it for me! It's like, I know that you know how to open a banana. I've seen you do it uh, multiple times, but it's early, I don't care. Fine, here you go. Daddy loves you very much. Uh, and then... She proceeds to, to take the banana and she takes a single bite and she drops it on the floor. And then she looks at me and she goes, I don't want that one anymore. I want a popsicle. Absolutely not. No, there's no, no, you're, the sun's not even up yet. No, I'm not going to give you a popsicle. Why? <laughs> and then for some reason, I decide to get into a debate with my three-year-old, which is not wise. Um, <laughs> And I'm like, it's because popsicles aren't breakfast food, sweetheart. Why? Because they're not good for you. I don't know. Why? Because it's just sugar and water. Why? Because that's what a popsicle is. I don't know. Why? Because if it was anything else, it wouldn't be a popsicle anymore. This proceeded for a while. This just kept going, this ridiculous argument. Uh, and uh, eventually, she was just on the floor, just laying on the floor, just pounding her hands on the floor and screaming the, the most awful guttural scream you've ever heard. Like she was auditioning for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And in that moment, I'm staring at her and I'm exhausted. I haven't had my coffee yet, right? And uh, I'm staring at her and I'm thinking, I can't believe how disrespectful my child is. I can't believe how disobedient this child is. I can't believe how ungrateful is she? You know what? At this rate, she's probably going to grow up and she's going to become a serial killer. And then when she gets caught, she's going to tell the news that she did it because her dad didn't give her popsicles as a child. And that's, that's what I'm envisioning, right? And <laughs> that's, the, that's the lens of judgment. It's a very silly version of it, but that is the lens of judgment. And when I'm in my better moments uh, and I'm able to wear the lens of mercy, I might look at her and think, you know what? She's tired. You know, she's confused. And she's three, like she's such a little person and she has all these big emotions and she doesn't know how to contain them all, right? And, and like I can't expect a three-year-old to act like a rational, mature person all the time. She does it 95% of the time already. That's pretty good, right? But she's three. She, like my, my iPhone's older than her. Like I can't expect 
that out of her, right? And I think that's what the lens of mercy is all about. It's about looking at someone else generously, looking at them with empathy, putting yourself in their shoes to try to understand their, their pain and try to understand why they make the decisions that they, that they make. Really, what the lens of mercy is, it's you recognizing that the other person is a human being who is created and loved by God just like you. That's what the lens of mercy is all about. However, I don't think it's much of an argument, uh, or I don't think it's too much of a stretch to argue that uh, right now a lot of Christians are wearing the lens of judgment, myself included, uh, especially in today's climate. Like we might see someone else, and they might be a total stranger, we might not know anything about them, but immediately we're like, hey, whose team are you on? Are you on my team? Do you believe the same things that I do? Did you vote the same way that I voted? Do you have the same goals as me in life? Right? Do we have the same friends and the same enemies? And if you look in the Bible, Jesus' own followers had a real problem with this because the Israelites, they expected that the Messiah was gonna lead them on a rebellion against Rome and that they would conquer Rome because they, they, they thought that Rome was their enemies. And instead, anytime Jesus talked about Rome, he basically told them, pay your taxes and don't act like a fool. That was it. And actually later, he instructed his disciples to go and make disciples out of the Romans. Go and share this gospel, this good news with the people who think and act differently than you, who you view as your enemy. That's what I want you to do. And we are called to do the exact same thing, but we are not going to be able to do that if we don't stop sizing up people to see if they're on the same team as us. We have to drop this lens of judgment. We have to adopt a lens of mercy. Uh, the second step is all about embodying the love of Jesus. And it's a simple step. It's just to be present and pay attention. Be present and pay attention. I'm convinced that love is rooted in presence and attention. And the older my daughters get, the more that I believe this to be true. So uh, my one-year-old Scarlett, if I am in the same room as her, and I'm not paying attention, I'm on my phone, looking at my phone, she'll kind of sneak over, uh, and she will just slowly like slide her head like in front of the phone and look up at me and smile. You know, she's like blocking my view and, and smiling like, hey, look, look at me. Look how adorable I am. Look at how precious I am. Why aren't you looking at me right now? And my three-year-old, Juliet, she'll actually say that constantly throughout the day. Look at me, look at me, look at me. And then she'll do the same thing that she did a hundred times. She'll like jump two inches in the air or do a twirl or something. But every time I'm like, oh my gosh, wow, that was amazing. I hope I get to see it a hundred more times, right? Because that is what makes her feel loved. And, and like, how awful would it be uh, if I was like, sweetheart, listen, uh, I've already seen you do that a bunch, all right? You need to get some new material. Uh, that, that would totally be deflating, right? That would be an awful thing to say to a three-year-old. Uh, but it's not just kids. It's not just kids that need presence and attention, that feel loved by presence and attention. I know that for myself, um, I feel loved when I'm in a group conversation. And by the way, I'm already really awkward in group conversations. Like I, I never know when to interject. And I feel like my thoughts are always a little bit slower than everybody else's. Uh, and so when I'm in that group conversation and someone says, hey, Adam, what do you think? Right? Or even better is when I do finally try to say something, try to interject, and then someone else cuts me off. But then another person in the group notices and, say, and circles back around and says, hey, Adam, what were you going to say? That makes me 
feel love. That tells me that they were paying attention to me and that they cared about what I was thinking, they cared about what I had to say, right? That made me feel loved. And that's one of my favorite qualities of Jesus is that he always noticed the people who everyone else overlooked. And he would pay special attention to those who society and especially religion ignored, right? Children, women, foreigners, sinners, outcasts, the unclean, right? Out, uh, murderers, uh, uh, the sick, like all those people, he would pay special attention to them. He would be present with them. He would listen to them. He would show them, hey, you matter. No one else seems to think so, but I do. You matter. Because one of the most loving things that you can do to show someone that you love them is just to be there and say, I see you. I care about what you're thinking. I want to hear what you have to say. You matter. And when we practice those two steps of viewing people through the lens of mercy and of just being present and paying attention to them, that's when we begin to embody the love and the mercy of Jesus. And we become incarnations of Jesus. We become living, breathing testaments to the truth of the gospel. And through you, people will come to meet Jesus. People will meet Jesus through you to God be the glory. I want to share one last story with you all to illustrate what this looks like, what it looks like in real life when we practice these two steps to embody the love and mercy of Jesus. And I actually, I shared this story years ago. I believe it was the first time I ever preached on this stage, I shared this story, and it's about my wife, Kathleen. And this story takes place, I think, roughly in, in 2012. And my wife and I, we were still uh, newlyweds at that time. And I was the junior high pastor here at Faithbridge. And we lived in the apartments that are behind the Walmart that's on uh, 1960 and T.C. Jester. Do you all know that Walmart? Yeah, um, they were nice apartments, you know, and, you know, we didn't have live behind a target kind of money, but these were, these were nice, nice apartments. And so I came home one day and from work, I came home and I saw that there was a strange cell phone sitting on the counter. It was, I'd never seen it before. It was one of those uh, flip phones, you know, and this was in 2012. Smartphones were doing real good. And so I was, I didn't know why this phone was on the counter. So I called Kathleen in to the room, into the kitchen and I asked her about it. I said, Kathleen, whose, whose phone is this? And she said, oh, it's, that's Fred's phone. Oh, it's Fred's, okay. Uh, who is Fred, right? And why is Fred's phone in our kitchen? Oh, well, Fred is one of the guys that we always see at the corner uh, by the Walmart. Oh, you mean one of the homeless guys that we see over there? Yep. Okay. Why do you have Fred's phone? Did you steal Fred's phone? Are you stealing phones from the homeless people now? That's not good. I didn't say that, but... Um, she said, I said, why do, you, why do you have Fred's phone? And she said, well, I offered to charge it for him because he doesn't have anywhere to charge his phone. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, follow-up question. How do you know Fred? Oh, well, uh, we had lunch. Oh, you had lunch. Of course. Uh, just a couple more questions. Um, where are you having these lunches? And is it just you and Fred? And are you insane? Like, are you trying to get kidnapped? Right, so looking back... I now realize I was totally wearing the lens of judgment. Uh, and I was a hypocrite, because uh, I could preach all day long about taking care of the poor, uh, about taking care of the least of these, uh, about caring for people who are homeless. Uh, but then uh, I was suspicious of them, and I viewed them with fear, uh, and in real life, based purely on stereotypes. But I was also wearing the lens of judgment uh, with my wife, too. I remember thinking, like, who in the world did I marry? Like... <laughs> 
Like, what kind of wild card did I marry? Like, who, like who spends their afternoon just hanging out with homeless people? That's, that's crazy. And side note, but uh, it's funny how a lot of times the acts that we view as crazy are often the most Christ-like acts. Um, anyway, so Kathleen, she responds to my questions, and she's like, Adam, stop, don't be ridiculous. No one's going to kidnap me. No one's going to hurt me, all right? Um, and, she, and she's like, it wasn't just me and Fred. I had lunch with Fred and uh, Sam and Katie, and they were all very nice. And then she goes on to tell me that she had spent uh, over two hours with them that afternoon, uh, just talking with them, hearing their stories, hearing about their struggles, and there's no judgment, only mercy. She was present with them. She paid attention to them. And later that evening, Kathleen brought me along with her to return uh, Fred's phone. And as we pulled up next to their car, I should note, so uh, they were homeless, but Fred had a car. They actually lived in the car in the corner of that Walmart parking lot. And so as we pulled up next to the car, I'm, again, I'm totally wearing the lens of judgment. I immediately begin to scan the scene, looking for anything suspicious, right? Looking for like drugs or needles or weapons, anything to confirm my, my fears and the anger I was, I was feeling. Um, but what I found instead were three people, Fred, Sam, and Katie, and they looked like the world had just chewed them up and spit them out. These were the people who everyone else ignores. Or if they do notice them, it's always with suspicion and fear. These people just could not seem to escape the lens of judgment. And they had names, Fred, Sam, and Katie. And they were broken, and they were tired, and the world was passing them by, even though they were beloved children of God. But then, Kathleen jumped out of the car, and I wish I could show you. And I'll never forget the look on their faces, the way it, 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 they just brightened. Like in the words of St. Therese, just the sight of Kathleen made their sad souls bloom, right? Like, like their faces just, like they all immediately sat up straight and instead of looking tired and weary, all of a sudden they looked just joyful and so full of excitement. And like, I remember thinking like, why are they having this reaction? Now I know. Because in that moment, Kathleen became the incarnation of Jesus. Anytime anybody else looked at them, they would only see burnouts or drug addicts or criminals, but not Kathleen. That's not what Kathleen saw. She viewed them through the lens of mercy, and she was present with them, and she paid attention to them. She listened to their stories. She listened to their struggles, um, and their sad, weary souls bloomed. I honestly believe that they met Jesus in Kathleen. And which makes sense. It's no wonder why they were so excited and so joyful to see her. And I think um, that honestly, Jesus looks at us the same way. Jesus looks at you the same way. When Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see a sinner. He doesn't see a mistake. He doesn't see a failure. He just sees you. The, the child that he loves, the child that he died on the cross for, and he offers you grace upon grace upon grace. And our response to that grace should be to embody the love and grace that has been offered to us and then go give it away. Go offer it to other people. I think that's what it means to be faithful stewards of God's grace. And I think that's what it means 
to follow Jesus. We are called to be him to every person that we meet. And just wait, just watch, as you'll see so many sad souls bloom. Let's pray. Father, we are just, first of all, just thankful for um, your love and your grace and the fact that you came to us when we were helpless, when we were stuck, when there was no hope, you came to us. Um, And we're getting ready to celebrate that moment, the moment when hope was born, when our salvation was born. Um, We're just so thankful for your your love that you would be willing to go to those lengths um, to to rescue us. And uh, Father, I just pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that dwells within us, that we can offer your love and grace to others, that we can go out into a world that is sad and weary, that is suspicious and fearful, And we can be your love and mercy to every person that we encounter. Father, and and we need your strength to do that. We need your words to do that. So I just pray, again, that your Holy Spirit just dwells within us and that we just radiate your grace with every person that we meet. Father, I pray that this Christmas season is one in which we not only celebrate your birth not only celebrate the incarnation, but where we dedicate ourselves to becoming incarnations of Jesus and to show the world that your love and your grace, it's real. Father, we ask all this in the mighty and precious name of Jesus. Amen.